Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, But but also, we don't want to be your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. To all my dudes, uh, please hear me. Did you get a raffle ticket? Yes. Did anybody not get one? Man, the guy's up front. Nailed it. Great job. Um, yeah. Does anybody need two? Just kidding. Um, so, first of all, happy Father's Day. Uh, not just to our biological dads, but for those that have come alongside younger men and have trained us, for those that have helped us, um, whether that be, you know, at work, at church, whatever, I just want to say thank you. Uh, and as I was back here thinking, um, you know, as a father, you remember your failures. Uh, you do. Um, they smack me in the face all the time and, and beat me down. But um, as I reflect back on my dad, I mean, I know that we had our differences. But the things that he taught me, like, I remember. Um, and just remember those good things um, and the good that they did for us. Uh, that is something that I will forever be grateful for. Um, and then, obviously, like for our Heavenly Father and like what He does is just, just amazing. Just amazing if He'll let us. So, um, yeah, this is funny because this was actually mentioned yesterday. I'm going to need you, you guys to answer a question for me. You know, we have Mother's Day, Grandparents' Day, Boss's Day, blah, blah, blah. But then the kids would always say this, when is Kids' Day? And they would say, the parents would say every day, right? Well, Summer said this yesterday, Father's Day is every day. Um, and she's not wrong. I mean, really, like, as a dad, um, I, I don't want to be thanked for doing what I do. I don't. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that there is that day, and, uh, yeah. Summer got me what I wanted. She got me a 24-inch outdoor fan that will move some air. So when I'm outside next to my smoker, Adam, you need to listen to this. Bro, it gets hot, and you need something to move that air. Get yourself a high velocity fan. Uh, actually, your wife can get it for you. It makes it even better. Um, so, so thank you. Um, a few days ago, I always like to start off with something funny. So a few days ago, I get this text from my mom. And she says, hey, here's your junior year report card, LOL. I'm pausing for effect there. And so, and this goes like so well with what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so I open it up and I look at it, 
I'm like, oh my gosh. That makes a lot of things make sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about truth wars. So in 2 Timothy 3, and I may be getting ahead of myself. No, actually, it's good. Yeah, throw it up there. Perfect. So we've got this, this, this chapter that is um, um, devoted to examples, whether they be godly or ungodly. Um, and so I have the opportunity of talking about those ungodly examples. Uh, and then sometimes when I, when I look at like, uh, like the menu of services that we're going to be doing the sermons, I'm like, well, dang. But man, I can tell you, like, I really enjoyed this and it was eye-opening and it was also scary at the same time. But so my mom sends me my junior year report card from 1993. <laughs> and looking at this and I start thinking, why was I so bad. Um, and, and I don't know if my biology teacher is still alive, and if, if he is, if I run into him and apologize, but uh, it was so bad. Like, I thought it was not cool to get good grades. And so I intentionally didn't try hard in school because I didn't want to be that nerd, you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, I'd walk into biology, and uh, he would say, uh, I was almost said his name. I'm not going to. He said, Johan, here's what we're going to do today. You're going to go to the back. You're going to put your head down, and you're going to go to sleep. Um, and then we're going we're to have a good day, okay? I was like, okay. And so I put my head down, went to sleep. It's terrible. I'm sorry. But it, it makes a lot of things make sense. So anyway, um, truth wars. Avoiding ungodly examples is going to be the subject uh, of the day. So, um, so yesterday we had to do some things uh, with some church dudes, and, and we came here, and, and we were outside just doing a little weed eating and leaf blowing and stuff, and uh, hey, God brought this to my mind. Uh, it's always when I'm, I'm on the toilet, or I'm in the shower, or I'm busy doing something, where he has like just these, like, these mic drop moments, at least for me, like in my head, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. So I had to put the, the leaf blower down, and I get my phone out and make a note, but but listen to this. So there is an awakening, a calling to the church, to those that will listen and to lead others, to separate ourselves from false teachers and false teaching that blind sheep so blindly follow. To separate ourselves, sorry, a truthless tradition, religion that covertly morphs into false gospel and is fought to be kept as such. To follow the God of truth and the truth of God to lead people according to his truth and to his truth alone. Guys, there is an awakening. Years ago, I saw it. It was before I ever met Adam. I saw it. I'm like, oh my gosh, and it was happening. Like God was doing a work within a church. And he gave me a vision, not like some big heavenly thing like John in the book of Revelation, but, but he showed me where he was trying to take the church, and it was beautiful. And I was so excited. And these ungodly examples that we're talking about today, they came in and they killed it. But did God give up on that church? No. Because he raised somebody else that was doing the exact same thing and had no idea uh, that the previous person had ever existed. And what did it do? What did the church do? It did the exact same thing and shot it down. 
And it was heartbreaking. So there's awakening, there's a calling to the church, to those that will listen and to those that will lead. And in my heart, like in my gut, I know the guys that lead this church have this in mind. I know it. So, so that whole statement, like it begs this question, like how do you know that the pastor you are following is teaching the truth? I mean, how do you know? How do you know that the podcasts you're listening to are speaking truth to you? How do you know the things that you're putting into your head are truly from God? I mean, ask you, like, how do you know? How can you know? Have you ever had your spiritual sense trained to know right from wrong? To know truth from error? I mean, how do you get to that point? There's one way, and this is 100% on you, 100% on me. You must know the truth. So you must, each of us, spend time in the Word so that when this information is being thrown at us, we can recognize truth from error. And we can not only separate the good from the bad, but the good from the excellent. You know, it is the responsibility of each one of us to get to that point to, we are, to where we are never at the mercy of the teacher. Like, do you follow me with that statement? So regardless if it's me or Adam or Cody or whoever is up here, like, you are not at our mercy. Like, for me, for somebody that tries to speak truth, that's scary to me. Because believe it or not, there are some, just because there is a person standing on a stage, will believe what that guy says or that lady says is gospel. Man, we can't be there. We cannot be there. So, you know, First and Second Timothy you know, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. So in the first book, he is writing to him on how he really needs to run the church, you know. Uh, and then in the second book, he's really giving instruction to Timothy on how he needs to operate his personal ministry. But just because you're not a pastor does not mean that you're a leader. Fathers, men, like, this is you. If you are here, you are a leader. Like, this, this, this church, like, as we move in uh, to the next age that's going to be to come, uh, we will be a royal priesthood. We will be leaders. So, this message is for you. Okay, so... Second Timothy, you don't really need to remember this. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, let you know, but... 2 Timothy is broken down this way. It starts with the making of a gospel-centered leader. Then he goes from uh, gospel-centered bravery, images of endurance, images of a faithful teacher, and then today, godly examples. And it follows up with uh, faithful to the word and then faithful to the end. But today, we're going to be looking at godly examples from 2 Timothy 3. Today, we'll be talking about the ungodly examples. Next week, the godly. So I'll throw this slide up there again. So today, 
It's truth wars, avoiding ungodly examples. So, uh, like it or not, recognize it or not, we have all observed the power of example. And Jesus was the, um, the perfect display of this. So the first thing about Jesus' example was this, was the spoken word. So the thing that he spoke had the most impact. And then there was a second part to that that followed real closely was Jesus' example. Um, just a side note, it's not here in my notes. Um, you know, I always thought because as a, as a person, you know, as a believer, like uh, um, sharing your faith with somebody can be super intimidating and very scary. And so I would say this, I was like, well, you know, I just, I like to witness just by my example. So I was skipping the hard part to get to the easy part, because it's easy to live a life of a follower of Christ, but it's hard to get that word out there first. But people are begging, they're begging for examples. And I can tell you from personal experience that first big impression on your life, whether it be good or bad, is going gonna to leave a lasting impression. We need to be about being that first big impression, just as Jesus was, because Jesus first spoke the word. And then he lived the example. So. We're getting ready to get into these verses, um, but uh, this, isn't, this isn't my phrase. Like, I, I stole this, but this is pretty cool. So what, what Paul is going to do, like in this passage, uh, verses 1 through 9, is he's, he's going to take us in the moral sewer, um, and he's going list, to list out a bunch of examples but, um, that we're not to follow. But he also describes, like, the emptiness of godless religion, the corrupt nature of false teachers, including their evil method of prof, uh, proselytizing. Guys, and this is super scary, and you know, you really think, eh, I mean, we're not going to see that. Um, I can tell you that I've seen it firsthand, and, and it is scary, and it brings death. So, like, if, if you are, if you're walking with the Lord, he will bring you to those people that you need to listen to, he did it for me. But he will also give you that spiritual sense to where you are either listening to someone or hanging out with someone. He's going to tell you, you need to run. So. Um, you know, so these, these people that we're going to be talking about today, these people are given a second chance. They're not... Like, Paul is not saying, listen, you need to completely disregard these guys because in the previous chapter, he's like, listen, he's like, hear me. Like, we want these guys to come to repentance, like we do. But if they don't, like, something has to be done. And sadly, like, some of these people will never come to the truth. So these obstinate, disruptive people must be avoided, even completely breaking fellowship with them. So, followers of Christ, talking about these unbelievers, don't hear me saying that we are supposed to distance ourselves from these sinners because that is not 
what I'm saying here. But when it comes to these ungodly examples, like if they do not come to repentance and return, I was like, we have got to avoid this. We have got to flee from this. And for those of you that are leaders, especially as pastors, it is our job to guard the flock. And I can tell you that it is not easy and it is not fun. So, so before we get into this, there's a question that we need to ask. What kind of person are you? What kind of person am I? Are you godless or are you godly? What kind of person are you becoming and what kind of person are you following? We must avoid ungodly people, especially within the church. So, um, let's go ahead and read this passage of Scripture, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. We'll pray, and then we'll start to break this down. 2 Timothy 3. But understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, turn away from such as these. They are the kind who worm their way into households and captivate vulnerable women who are weighed down with sins and led astray by various passions, who are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. <laughs> Good. Okay. Just as Jannes and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. They are depraved in mind and disqualified from the faith. But they will not advance much further, for just like Jannes and Jambres, their folly will be plain to everyone. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you first and foremost, for being our Heavenly Father, for setting the example of us dads, an example that, uh, that we hope to follow. I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness uh, for those times uh, in which we fail. I know I have. Oh, but I pray um, for all of us dads, they would be the good things that are remembered, the excellent things. Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture and the, and the warning that you give to us. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth this morning would be your words. I pray that you are glorified from this, and I pray that the men in this room and the ladies in this room would learn something. God, we give you this time. I use it for your good, in Jesus' name. Okay, so we're going to break down these nine verses. 2 Timothy 3.1. But understand this, in the last days, terrible times to come. In the last days. Um, there's a commentator that says this. This refers to a time under the gospel dispensation called the latter days as being intended to wind up the economy providence and to remain a full force even to the end of the world. 
So this could, this could be talking about two things. One, it could either be talking about um, the age when Jesus came, or it could be talking about something else. Um, I am not the kind of guy that likes to throw Greek at you. I'm not super intelligent when it comes to this stuff. I, I have a, a, a website that I use. Um, it's Bible.cc, the Bible Hub. It's super awesome because you could take a verse and it'll take you to the Greek and then we'll show you what these things mean. But like, at least for me, like I wanted to know what does last days mean? Like, what is that referring to? Um, and so this is going to take us on a tangent for just a little bit, but, but I'm sorry. Um, like, I'm going to throw up this Greek word here in a second. And it's, it's eschatos. So the Greek for latter is eschatos. Like Strong's Concordance says this. It's, it's last, extreme, uh, at the last, finally, till the end. And then a word study of this, the, the root of eschatos is eschatology, or the, the root of eschatology is eschatos, and it's the study of the last things. So this includes Bible prophecy, end times, and life after death. So while I am convinced that Timothy was dealing with this, I think that this evil that has crept into the church is going to grow in intensity until the end. So we have got to be mindful of this. So, but understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come. So, So knowing the timeline of events uh, will help you be prepared uh, to see what's coming, to know what to expect, to know what to look for, when to look for them, and what to do when they surface. So some of you that have studied with me, you know what phase of the church that we are in right now. And this is, comes from uh, John's letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And like for those of you that have studied with me at all, like you understand these things. But there's a list of these seven churches. They all existed in John's day. And so as these letters are given throughout the, the, the second and third chapter of Revelation, it is a progression of the dominating characteristic of the church, right? So we get to the very last church, and the very last church is Laodicea. Now, name is character, whether it be to a person, a church, or whatever, but the term Laodicea means people ruling. So you have people that are doing what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like today, church? So Laodicea is the age of the church that we are currently living in. It's the final period of the church prior to its rapture and its conclusion. So These people in the, in the last days that Paul is talking about, these people are living a life in a way that seems right in their own eyes. And there are people that claim to be Christian, but they're spiritually dead. So, so what, is, what is the problem with the last days? This is sad to me. And this is scary. Because the problem with the last days is one thing. And it's people. 
It's these sinful people who live corrupt lives and create difficult times. Under the influence of the devil, they'll pose as teachers and they'll lead others astray. So the characteristics that we're getting ready to look at, there's sinful humanity in general and the false teachers in particular. You know, and, and it's not real easy to, to put all these characteristics um, into an organization, but there are three characteristics that stand out. And so what we're going to do in today's message is we're going to look at these three characteristics. We're going to break it down so that we, as followers, followers of Christ, will know what to do. So go ahead and throw up the slide. This is what we need to be watched for, these three characteristics. The first, characteristic number one, self-centered. And if you don't have all these three, I'm going to just show all three of those, and then I'll back up and we'll go back to the slides. Characteristic number two, the religion is a show. And then characteristic number three, the proselytizing is evil. So they are self-centered, the religion is a show, and they're out looking for people to devour. These are the things that we as leaders need to be mindful of, these ungodly examples. So let's look at the first characteristic, self-centered. 2 Timothy 3, 2-4, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These self-centered people describing these, verse, these verses have misdirected loves. They're lovers of self, lovers of money, unloving, without love for what is good, lovers of pleasure. So the, the best way to describe these people is, is this. Everyone worships something. That worship, that life, the way that you live, the way that you talk is a spillover of what you worship. I'll read this real quick. Uh, again, for those of you who spend any time with me, um, you know this well because I use this example all the time. I've been using this example uh, when my kids were young. This is Luke 6. I'm just read it real fast. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn Brush, bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And then here it is, and this is a gut check from me. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, how will you know a tree? How do you know a tree? By its fruit. Now, is it possible for you being a good tree to occasionally have a bad apple? Sure. But this is something that we need to be doing as followers of Christ for both ourselves and then for others is always checking the fruit. What kind of fruit is it producing? So... The first section of these ungodly examples that we need to flee from have three inordinate loves. 
And this is so easy to see. So easy to see, but we need to be mindful of it. One is narcissism. Man, they love themselves. Materialism, the love of money, the love of stuff. And then hedonism, the love of pleasure. These things lead people not to love what is good. So when the love of God is replaced with something else, vices follow, lover of self, lover of money, the love of pleasure. This is, this is the same thing that Jesus was tempted with uh, as he came out of the, his fasting period and was wandering through the wilderness. The devil came at him with three different types of temptations. It was the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And I can tell you as fathers, as leaders, as pastors, like those temptations are going to come our way and we have got to be watchful of it to protect ourselves and protect our flock. So, you know, this is interesting to me. So these, these ungodly examples like operate opposite of God. So, so follow me for a second here. So God's law, over 600 laws, he sums those dudes up into 10, and he gives those to Moses. Notice the 10 commandments, right? So you've got over 600 laws summed up in 10, and you've got the 10 commandments, and then Jesus shows up, and he gives us the royal law, which summarizes this. Love God, love people. The ungodly are neither of those things. They do not love God. They do not love people. Who do they love? themselves. Hmm. We know that our enemy, our enemy Satan, is the opposite, is the counterfeit of everything that God is. And as the days unfold, which I won't go into it, but this, this counterfeit will just continue to open. Man, we've got to be watchful of this. So, so the ungodly neither love God or people. And it is only God's gospel that can bring us to that point where we both love God and love people. And I can tell you loving God is easy, but loving people, I got to chuckle over here. That's difficult. That's difficult. But we know that it's God who's at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Guys, I can tell you, if you are walking with him, you won't have to love those people because that love of Christ that is in you will automatically happen. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can tell you, if you are loving God, you won't have to force yourself to love people. It'll just naturally happen. So, it's characteristic number one, self-centered. Move to characteristic number two. The religion is a show. Man, nothing makes my skin crawl more than this. If there is one thing, this isn't my notes either, if there is one thing that we need to watch out for, it's pride. It was the first sin. Lucifer wanted to make himself like the most high because of pride. <clears throat> Sorry. 
But this religious show, like, I've seen it. And you have too. So 2 Timothy 3.5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, turn away from such as these. So the sinful practices from characteristic number one, man, that's not it. There's more. So these ungodly examples put on a religious act, and I can't for the life of me figure out why. Why do you do it? Why do you feel as though you need to put on a godly act and then so blatantly deny him? And the part that absolutely breaks my heart is their followers buy it as gospel. It's the blind leading the blind. But not only that, not only do they buy it as gospel, like they rally behind them and chant them on. I saw a video just a couple days ago. Um, I'm not going to show it. I need to tell you about it. But it's just, I'll go ahead and tell you. Guy was on the stage like pretty much yelling because men in the church have facial hair. And the people were screaming in agreeance. Facial hair. Like, so let me get this straight. So if a man has facial hair, he he cannot uh, do whatever he needs to do within the church because pride has gotten there. Like, so, so beards uh, in and of themselves are evil? Um. So it got me thinking about Jesus being led to the crucifixion. What was torn out of that brother's face? So I should be up here ranting and raving that beards are holy. And if you don't have one, you're going to my prayer list. Yeah, and I got applause from all the bearded fellas. I'm just kidding. The only reason I grow a beard is because you don't want to see my face. Can I get an amen, Summer? Everybody amen except for Summer. Can I get an amen, Summer? <laughs> I think I would, I would divorce me if I shaved my face. I'm sorry, this isn't going to work out. No, I, I haven't. I have, I've had a beard since I was 19. Uh, yeah. And I'm like 28 now, so it's been a while. Anyway... <clears throat> That's why I was a junior in 1993 in high school. <laughs> I'm so sorry. See, I'm putting on a religious show. Sorry. So, why do I do the things the way I do? So, you have these followers that are buying the junk that these guys are selling. They're accepting it as gospel, and they are rallying behind it. But these so-called religious people, they lack something. They lack spiritual power. In fact, they deny it. They refuse to believe the truth of the gospel. They fail to embrace Christ, and they fail to embrace his power. These religious acts are full of empty form, empty, empty talk, empty sacrifices. We must flee. We must avoid these people. You know, if you study Old Testament, New Testament scriptures, like there's this part in Isaiah when God is like, listen, like I am sick and tired of your festivals. I'm, all of these things that you say that you're doing for me, but you're not, I'm tired of it. 
please stop. Like, like, like it's making my ears bleed. Like, I am not going to listen to you. Please stop. Sick of it. I feel, I feel for those that have bought the lie and are living lives the way that uh, Paul is talking about here. Like, it breaks my heart for them because they've been deceived and they can't see it. So, following these ungodly examples would lead people to go to church their entire life and completely miss the point of why they're going. Finding the Savior and receiving spiritual life from Him. We must avoid practicing religion with godliness and faith that works. We must be mindful to not fall into the snare of this as well. Um, just side note real quick. We as church people, not just the leaders, but you too. This is something that is very, very scary to me. You know, when I, when I first started to, to grow in the faith and really understand the scriptures, I was very mindful of not being religious. Religious is not necessarily a good thing. So, like, um, trying to break out of the norm, trying to make sure that I wasn't doing things that were routine, and I always try to keep a clear head. But are you coming here because it's the thing to do on Sundays? Or are you coming here because you want to worship the Creator? You want to worship the Savior and then come together with other people and give our God glory? So, as I begin to grow, I had that, that mindset. But this is where evil creeps in within the church, especially in this area, in the Bible Belt, is um, you get into a routine. Sunday school starts at this time. Church starts at this time. At this time, you do prayer requests. And right after that time, you've got to get into your message so you can get out and go to big church. And then we also do Wednesday night service, Sunday night service, BBS, Awanas, whatever. And you could have the absolute best intentions with your routine. But that routine becomes tradition because you do it over and over. That tradition becomes religion where you hold it as having more importance than the gospel itself. And I can tell you, so this routine that became tradition this tradition that became religion, it is the religion that killed Jesus. Because the guys that were running the show back then were too in love with their positions that when the Savior actually came in the flesh, they knew that he was going to change anything. They wanted no part of it, so they put him on a cross. He actually gave his life up, but they put him on a cross. So it's the religion that killed Jesus. We have got to avoid practicing religion. So, this brings us to characteristic number three, the proselytizing. Their proselytizing is evil. Is evil. 2 Timothy 3, 6-9. They are the kind who worm their way into households and captivate vulnerable women who are weighed down with sins 
and led astray by various passions, who are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. They are depraved in mind, disqualified from the faith, but they will not advance much further. For just like Janes and Jambres, their folly will be plain to everyone. Sadly, these ungodly men are of their father, the devil, whose mission is to seek, to kill, and to destroy. These wolves try to win converts through their wicked religion and their method is evil. So how can you, how can, how can I identify these people? One, by their method and their victims. One, their method is sneaky, is secretive, just like Satan himself. And they seek to capture these victims in their homes. And their victims are idle women, women with low self-worth, burdened with sin. This is not a slight at women. But I have one that's very close to me in my life. Not, not here. You don't, you, don't, you don't know her. She is so beaten down with a sin. Her, self, her self-worth is non-existent at all. And you have these ungodly examples that are coming in and taking advantage of that opportunity. And I know that it has happened. Like, I know someone who has done this and fits all three categories, and it scares the crap out of me. You would think, oh my gosh, there's, there's, there's no way somebody would have a position like that and then, like, uh, really fall into these three categories. Self-centered. Where, where's my, sorry. So, self-centered, religious show, and then looking for these vulnerable women. It's terrible. So, this proselytizing, you know, them looking for these, uh, for this prey. These women that they prey on would listen to them or to anyone that would pay them attention. And unfortunately, they're never able, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These predators are corrupt in mind, mentally warped, worthless in regard to the faith. But one thing that we can't take hope in is, is the last portion of the statement. And then Paul's like, listen, he's like, you know, you, you can take this to heart. Throw up that last verse, if you would, please. Can you back up one slide? There it is. Say, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So, like, this evil will be exposed. This evil will come out. So, if you are following a leader like this, whether that be here or somewhere else, you need to flee. Like, and if you have... If you personally have been deceived by any of these three temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, it is not too late to turn from that. 
And I'm speaking to me as well. And I can tell you as, as leaders, as followers, like these things are going to come and we have got to have our eyes open when they do. So, so how do we, how do we uh, avoid these ungodly examples? you have to come back next week um, for the positive portion of this scripture. So, wrapping things up. So, taking all of what Paul teaches us in verses 1 through 9, this is the takeaway. We as leaders, men too, are to avoid these men. We are to avoid with these practices. We must avoid being self-centered with misdirected loves and corrupt relationships. We must be watchful of evil tactics of false teachers. This thing is very real, like I've witnessed it. I've seen it. So if you are following a leader like this, it's not too late to flee. If you've been deceived with these, it isn't too late to repent, to turn around. There's a better way of living, and there's a better way to overcome. So I mentioned this. Uh, when, we, when we opened up, I'm, and I'm getting ready to close, so this is my Father's Day present to you guys. Uh, it's not going to be too long. So, there is awakening. There is a calling to the church, to those that will listen and lead others. So this calling is to separate ourselves from false teachers and false teaching. That blind sheep so blindly follow a truthless tradition religion that covertly morphs into false gospel and is fought to be kept as such. There's a calling to follow the God of truth and the truth of God to lead people, to lead your families according to his truth and to his truth alone. Guys, this is a calling to all of us men, to all of us ladies, like, there is an awakening in the church. And I can tell you, like, when that calling comes, you've got a choice. You can either get on board or be left behind. Because God is going to move in the church. And I want to be part of one that is following the Savior, following his movement. So I'm going to ask this question again. Like, how do you know that the pastor that you're listening to is telling you the truth? Like, do you have your spiritual sense tuned so where you can know right from wrong, truth from error? Like, how do you know that the things that you're putting into your brain are godly? There's only one way, and it's 100% up to you. And it's to spend the time alone with the Creator in His Word. You must know the truth. Um, for you guys that do have a decent understanding of the Scriptures, like, what are you doing with that? Are you keeping it to yourselves? Or are you helping others? And I'm not talking about having to lead some group, but man, at least with your families. And I'm talking about me too. Like, am I doing right with 
the truth that's been given to me? Or am I just sitting on it, not sharing it? So the questions we all need to ask ourselves is this. What kind of person are you? Are you a godly person or are you godless? You know. What kind of person are you becoming? What kind of person are you following? Now finally, as followers of Christ, are you prepared for the adversity that's going to come? You don't come to Christ to live a blessed life, to live a carefree life. You come to Christ so you can fight. And it's not a choice. It's, I say it's not a choice. It is a choice, but it is not something that you do. It, it, it is not some group that you choose to, uh, to sign yourself up to. I mean, it's, it's the truth. There's truth in its error. It's either right or it's wrong. So will you, if you don't know him today, believe in a God that is the truth? Okay. Um, I first wanted to address those that are followers of Christ. Uh, and I always speak to myself too. These messages are always for me as well. Like, how have we been carrying ourselves? Have we become lax? What about the desires of our heart? Are they what they should be? So the outpouring of our life, is it something that's godly or something that's not? What does our fruit look like? Do you, are you bearing good fruit? Or do you have some rotten apples? If you do have those rotten apples, it's okay. It's okay. You can either speak with some of us or, or ask us to pray for you. We'll do whatever we have to do to help you get those good apples again. And then next, I want to talk to those that don't know Christ. Like if you are here and you do not know him, like you're not here by mistake. You know, I used to think that Becoming a Christian was something that was super difficult. I had to straighten up my life first before I could come to him because that couldn't be further from the truth. You come to him in the place that you are. You start following him and he takes care of everything else. It's just first stepping out and making the decision to believe in the truth because that truth believes in you. If spiritual work needs to be done, let's get it done today. Like, I'll be down here. We'll have a team down here. Like, come and talk to us. Let us pray for you. Let us do what we need to do to help you in this journey. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the worship.